Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. A woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't stand up straight. When he saw her, Jesus called her to him and said, Woman, you are set free from your sickness. He placed his hands on her, and she straightened up at once and praised God. The synagogue leader, incensed that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded, There are six days during which work is permitted. Come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath day. The Lord replied, Hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from its stall and lead it out to get a drink? Then isn't it necessary that this woman, a daughter of Abraham, bound by Satan for 18 long years, be set free from her bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said these things, all his opponents were put to shame, but all those in the crowd rejoiced at the extraordinary things he was doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So author Amy Kinney uh, quips in her new book, and, and you'll, you'll see it up on the screen later. She says, the hardest part of being disabled isn't the pain, it's the people. The hardest part of being disabled isn't the pain, it's the people. Today's gospel reading bears witness to this. As Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, and he is approached by a long disabled woman. Her, her back was bent for 18 years. We're not actually given a whole lot of indication that she was doing or seeking anything being there. She was just kind of bending her ear to hear this message from this new rabbi. In many ways, she was just kind of in Jesus's radius, uh, maybe just in his peripheral vision. And she experienced like maybe the opposite of collateral damage, whatever that would be, collateral remedy or something, collateral healing. After all, when something is with you for this long, even something awful, you just kind of learn how to deal. God has made humans incredibly resilient creatures. We can cope and we can pivot and we can learn how to walk with a limp. One wonders if anyone would even recognize this woman now that she was standing up straight. She might have just been, quote unquote, that cripple. She, she might have been just like the one who kind of inconvenient inconveniently clogs at the doorway to the synagogue or who was relying on the community for help because she couldn't provide a whole lot for herself. But as Jesus preaches and as Jesus teaches on the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was their special time of communion and restoration with God, it's that time from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday where there's, there's no work. Uh, it's, it's a physical reminder of God's work, God's rest in their midst. That this whole creation is a byproduct 
of a creative God who's not such a workaholic that there isn't grace and margin. It's just built into the very structure of the cosmos. So this was a time smack right in the middle of this Sabbath. There was an interruption. Maybe it was like a derailment <laughs> to their expectations. After all, given if you're in Luke's gospel, given what Jesus had been teaching to them, just read the previous verses in chapter 13 about a fig tree growing but not bearing good fruit and how long you deal with that before you cut it down. Maybe things were already starting to get a little off the rails for, for them all. Friends, the fig tree thing, it's a metaphor. <laughs> and it's a really hard metaphor for us and for Jesus' listeners. This, this group that he was talking to, that he was teaching to, he was making his way around these synagogues, they didn't need more information, though. They needed an interruption. They needed to become witnesses to God's work in their midst. They needed to be spectators, not like speculators, just picking apart God's word. They already knew about the Sabbath. Jesus was preaching to the choir. They were there to celebrate the Sabbath, but they needed to learn how to live out the Sabbath. According to Deuteronomy 5, the Sabbath at its heart offers a weekly reminder and reassertion of how much God values freedom and how much God detests injustice. Deuteronomy 5 says, Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you should labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day it is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Don't do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male or female slave or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the resident aliens in your towns so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were once a slave in the land of Israel, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The whole original intent of the Sabbath, after the six days of creation and then God's people's liberation is to provide relief from any system that would deny a person a share in this kind of rest. Peace, wholeness, dignity, justice. You, you tend to root out people's idols <laughs> when you start to mess with their money, their power, their control, and I think that's a little what's happening here. Jesus is doing quite a bit of rearranging the furniture here for them. They don't like it. It doesn't feel good. Their worship leader commands that Jesus just put a pin in it. Just wait one more day. I agree with what you're saying, but now's not the time, Jesus. And Jesus responds, no, the Sabbath is a pretty darn good day to set people free. In fact, the purpose behind the Sabbath, the value God places on wholeness, necessitates that I do this now. We can't wait. Jesus' response to the synagogue leader is as scathing as it is succinct. The Sabbath, no tradition, no theological principle, is any excuse for ex like extending suffering and delaying wholeness for someone that God made and that God desires peace, shalom. There's an urgency to God's work here. There's an urgency to what Jesus is doing. 
that must have been jarring for everyone there, churchy people and the disabled woman alike. Like, she might have been jarred by Jesus' urgency here. 18 years is a long time. Disability scholar uh, John Swinton reminds us about God's time. He says, God's time is slow, patient, and kind, and it welcomes friendship. It is a way of being in the fullness of time that's not determined by productivity, success, or linear movements towards personal goals. It's a way of love. It's a way of the heart. And Jesus is, is bringing them into God's time, this fullness of time. This time for Jesus was, was so swollen, it, it popped. God arrived to them. God arrives to us unannounced. And when that happens, a new paradigm starts to take shape. Jesus is bringing them a new paradigm for how they live a Sabbath life. First, part of that paradigm is the value of just showing up. This woman's story shows us the value of just showing up over and over. Putting ourselves in the right place over and over and over. It doesn't always feel like the right place. It doesn't even feel like it's doing anything at that moment or cumulatively. But for God to work, not because we can control it or manipulate it, but God's work and God's timing happens when you just keep showing up. Showing up has value in and of itself because you can't be there for God to work for God to work unless you're there. You can't be there for God to work unless you're there. That's the most circular statement, right? But think about that for a second. You want God to work, keep showing up for God to work. With your eyes open, your heart open, your hands open. God has a tricky way of operating in the 11th hour. In the, on the nth time, God chooses to, to show up and to work in a way that's surprising. So for us, the, the best ability for the kingdom, and this is a story about ability and disability and different kinds of ability, and the best, avail, uh, the best ability for the kingdom is just being available. It's availability. And this woman shows that for all the ways that she doesn't have obvious abilities. She has the gift of availability, and Jesus changes her life. This can happen in the midst of hurt, and it can happen in the midst of, of suffering that is so deep and that has happened for so long, it becomes part of you. It's like the wallpaper. It's like the white noise in the background, and you can't seemingly ever change. And then Jesus arrives. Some of us, some of our encounter with Jesus is just learning to trust that God will show up if we show up because God's already there. It's also learning how to trust God for what healing might look like for us. All of our infirmities are, are pretty particular and pretty different, and all of our cures are too. <laughs> it means that we'll grow an imagination that God will provide for us and that God will show up and that God will heal. And God's grace doesn't always look like straightening out 18 years of chronic pain, but it could. I, who, who am I to say that it won't? right? It is pretty difficult, though, when you're in a spiral of despair to hear those words, just stick around to see what God's going to do, because sticking around seems like a death wish when all you've experienced is, is just a culture of death. 
You don't want to stick around for more suffering and sorrow, but sticking around in order to be in the right place and time for healing and liberation and resurrection is precisely what this story is about. Sticking around. It's, it, it's about cultivating hope. Even when like, hope seems really dim and really far and really impossible, if we, if we come back, if we stick around, we, we might might, maybe, just could be surprised by how, how bright and how near and how possible hope is. That's what grace is. It's, it's possibility where there was impossibility. It's gift where there was no grace. So if you're in one of those places, maybe, you're, maybe it just took a lot to get here this morning and you're in one of those places where hope is hard, and that's true, yes. Maybe, like Polly Murray says, hope is a song in a weary throat. Maybe it's really hard to sing. Like, just sing as, as well as you can. Because this story tells us that others need to hear your song and that also there, there might be some backup coming, some harmony coming into your life. Jesus setting this woman free kind of triggers a little bit of like practical theology of disability that honestly I didn't have enough time to read enough for this um, and so Matt I have a few books that I started and like if I had like two months to preach this sermon I would have read all of these and given you their best thoughts but these are some good places to start but it's almost always impossible to get this totally right discerning when we talk about disability what is what is like a scourge that, that someone is experiencing that, that wants God to, to take away from them? And, and somehow these limits and the, this brokenness can even sometimes be a gift, uh, a gift that we never signed up for and, and wouldn't select. You see, we're in those in-between times after the fall and before renewal where these blessed and broken bodies and minds groan for redemption. Pain is not good, but in some cases, suffering is also becomes inextricably tied to the person we are and are becoming. It's hard to imagine ourselves free or apart from traumatic things that have happened to us. We might maybe together begin to imagine hospitality for this sort of, these sorts of things in this in-between time. We might start to ask questions for how we make room for those who are bearing hurts, for those whose bodies are limited. Um, we, we might also ask how we can have our eyes open for the ways that they bear witness to Christ, to Christ's presence with us, to Christ's presence amidst hurt and limitation in our mortal flesh. And also together we can learn together how to lean towards the redemption of our bodies. One day there is no weeping or pain. But there's also Christ's own scars that, that make a way towards what's to come and what will always be. When we look at the resurrected Jesus, we see a memory of pain. There's not like a quick fix or a magic bullet or a, like a erasure of what happened. There's no post-trauma forgetfulness, but there's some kind of transfiguration that happens in the life of God. 
where we, like the woman, can be freed by the liberating touch and words of Jesus. That's this new paradigm, this new possibility that's starting to take shape. After all, the end, the, the goal, the completion of Sabbath is and always was rest, celebration, wholeness, healing, the culmination of God's creative activity. Tov is, is the Hebrew word. In those seven days, you have good, 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 very good, and then rest. That's the design. That's the paradigm, and Jesus is reminding us of that. The second thing that's happening as we look in, in Jesus' uh, response to this woman, we, we see a vision, and we're beckoned towards a vision for creativity and proclamation and tenderness. It, I, Pastor Meg has been so influential um, on the, the life of our Youth, kids in youth ministry and asking questions, but also on me when I read scripture and I'm a little disoriented or out of my depth, you just have to start ask, asking wondering questions. It's not a cop-out. It's actually like it drills you deeper into the world of, of the text. So when Jesus sees, first Jesus sees the woman. Jesus sees the woman. And so it made me, made me wonder if she even at that point wanted to be seen anymore. She, she might have that might have been the last thing she wanted. And Jesus sees her. And it says Jesus calls her forward. I wonder if this was awkward. <laughs> We're going to start doing that. No. <laughs> I, see that, I see that hand. Yeah. Um, it also made me wonder if she just needed help to be like, called forward. Like she might have physically needed help. It makes me wonder about that. Jesus speaks good news of her liberation. I wonder how she was able to even believe that. Before anything happened, Jesus spoke those words before they, they took effect or, or changed her body's composition. And Jesus touches her. I wonder what the last time was for her that someone gently touched her. Not like the kind of rough, like, load up kind of touching that happens for some people that, that can't do things on their own, but a touch with tenderness that leads to her healing. I also wonder for us, like, what healing could be like. Um, it, that it might not just be so instantaneous as it appears in this story, though I trust that could happen, and I would love for that to happen, but, but I will go on record as a, as a definite proponent of physical therapy, being married to a physical therapist. <laughs> And sometimes healing is a lot more like actual physical therapy or like metaphorical physical therapy where it is collaborative, it is continual, it is gradual, it is hard. Most people going to physical therapy don't much like their physical therapist because they give them homework and they require something of them. And maybe that's what Jesus healing us might be a little like. Lastly, the, the, this is creating and it's carving a new paradigm where disabled bodies bear witness to God's presence and God's healing. There's this old Stanley Hauerwas quip, and I, I think if I remember right, he's talking about um, why Leviticus, like why that whole big chunk of the Bible that is strange and inconvenient. And he says, a God that doesn't tell us what to do with our pots, pans, and genitals isn't a God worthy of our worship. Stanley. Um, 
But this story reminds us, along with the many lives that are lives of care around us, that actually many of the, the people who are vulnerable among us, the least of these children, the elderly, the differently abled, those requiring help with the doing of their pots and pans and genitals and more, those might actually be the most human people among us. The, the, the most connected to who God is and, and what God is doing. The closest to the, the hummus, the, the earth that God breathed into when, when he made us. Throughout scripture is a story of a God who is bound, who chooses to be bound to a hurting creation. We see this pop up um, even in the, the, the constitution of Israel and Israel's namesake, Jacob, who wrestles with divinity and comes away with a permanent lip, limp for it. Uh, that story of wrestling the angel, and in, in in it's marked by disability and intimacy with God. You never see that Christian bumper sticker, God, please dislocate my hip, right? Like, oh, <laughs> or the worship song. But um, when, when we see Jesus embarking on a, uh, on a ministry of healing and intimacy with the blind and, and crippled and bleeding and demon-possessed and even at Lazarus's grave, the dead, it's because that is where God is and chooses to be, right there. And finally, Jesus' death on the cross shows us definitively where God is, where God chooses to be. Moltmann says, when the crucified Jesus is called the image of the invisible God, the meaning is that this is God and God is like this. When, when we see the cross, this is God and God is like this. When we look at the resurrected body of Jesus, we see a prototype for humanity. It is a new humanity. It's the fate shared by all of us who are in Christ. Remember, we're crucified with Christ and that we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. Also at our baptism, we are baptized into Christ's death and we are raised to walk in newness of life. And so we bear with Jesus these scars, brow, back, hands, feet, side. Our, our passage ends with a with an echo of Mary's Magnificat song. I think it is. Um, maybe, maybe the whole Gospel of Luke is just kind of a remix, like a variation on the theme of Mary's song. The one bent low is being brought straight and raised. And perhaps even the well-intentioned temple folk are getting knocked down a peg or seven or so. It says, in, in different translations, it says they are ashamed or that they are humiliated. Uh, I, I kind of like humiliated better because it means they are brought closer to the hummus, closer to the dirt. It makes me wonder if this isn't the ongoing dynamic of our world and the church, that God is raising some up and bringing some down like horses on a carousel, raised and lowered, and, and, and so that... It's dynamic. It's not fixed, and it helps us see from a different view when we are beneath things, and sometimes we see better from down there. And it also makes us never too comfortable when we're 
raised above. That woman had 18 years with her body bent towards the earth. The religious leaders needed to be reacquainted with the ground. They'd, they'd long since trampled that spot and made a slab where nothing new might grow. So friends, don't be surprised, don't be threatened when you are brought low. That, that will happen, it might happen this week. That's where God is. Friends, keep showing up over and over, even when it doesn't seem like it's bearing good fruit. Fruit grows overnight. <laughs> fruit grows for a long time. Fruit might not grow for several seasons from now. Keep showing up. You are seen. You are called. You are known by Jesus, the wounded healer. The crucified and resurrected one has spoken healing and freedom over you, over the whole creation. Will you experience Jesus' healing presence and touch this week? Will you offer it to others as Christ's body in this world? Broken, poured out. Sisters and brothers, the good news is that today is always a good day to be set free. Y'all pray with me. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you see us and you free us. You know us and you take care of us. You entered into our world and you still arrive to us. Thanks for this story and help us find ourselves in it somewhere, even if it's as ones who need to be brought low, as ones who don't get it, as ones who are constantly on an adventure of missing the point. <laughs> Lord, by your spirit, breathe new life into us. We might join you in this good work. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.